This week on the Vergecast, Eddie Robertson joins Dieter, Paul, and I. We talk about the OnePlus 7 Pro. We talk about the Pixel 3a. We get deep into everything the government is doing with Facebook and tariffs. We're in it. Then we talk about the streaming wars. That's Vergecast. Coming up now. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the newly reconstituted Verge podcast empire. And I say that only because now we have two shows again, which is great. <laughs> it's very exciting. I'm Neelai, your friend. Dieter's here. Hello. Hi. Howdy. Paul, Paul is here. Hello. And Addie Robertson. Hey. Twofer this week. Welcome, Addie. Hi. Uh, so if you don't know, Addie uh, and I interviewed Mark Rifkin, who's one of the, the lawyers representing the plaintiffs who sued Apple for monopoly app store pricing. It was big news this week, but we did a whole episode where Addie explained what's going on. We interviewed the lawyer. What'd you think? I think that <laughs> a lot of the case is basically now we get to have a case. Yeah. But he was very compelling. He, he was very interesting. So you should listen to that. We're not going to get into it on this show because Addie and I just did a whole show about that. Uh, but Addie's here again this week because there's, I'm just going to be honest, there's a ton of stuff going on. Before we start, though, I want to tell you that Why'd You Push That Button is back. Season four premiere. Ashley and Caitlin went for it. They just went for it, and they did Green and Blue Bubbles and iMessage, which is yep. one of the trolliest ideas I've ever had. But it's a really good episode, I promise you. Dieter, you're on it. I am. And they managed to make me not sound completely ranty and insane when I talked about RCS. So, <laughs> so something we've never accomplished. <laughs> uh, but that's out now. Season four is super exciting. Just go, just go listen to it after you listen to the show. Okay. So there's just a lot going on this week, a, just a tremendous amount of tech news. Uh, there's launches, there's 5G networks, uh, there's our, our government and our president just doing all kinds of stuff. But before we start and get into it, and we're going to get into almost all of it, there's a lot of stuff that I think is worth like one or two lines of updates, just stories we've been tracking and talking about on the show forever. In a normal week, we dive into all this stuff, but there's so much going on this week that I just want to run through it really fast just to mm -hmm. acknowledge that these stories are moving. Uh, but I want to I focus on the, on the Pixel 3, the OnePlus 7 Pro, all the, frankly, insane policy stuff that's going on, and then make fun of Quibi. So uh, <laughs> that's always what I want to do. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go through this as fast as I can. A month ago, we reported that Foxconn's innovation centers were empty in Wisconsin. Foxconn held an event like uh, several days after we reported that where they bought another building and they promised to laughter from the crowd that the buildings were not empty and that they would be issuing a correction to us. 
soon. Mm. Also, don't climb trees. Something about climbing trees. Uh, Josh Jazz, our reporter, they said, we promise there's a plan, but don't climb trees to look at the buildings and see if they're full or not. We promise they're full. Uh, so we just waited a month. Uh, if you follow my Twitter, you'll know that Foxconn never issued its correction or statement to us about what the buildings would be used for in Wisconsin. Uh, and then, you know, it was a month, so we sent a photographer around to the buildings again. Uh, lo and behold, not only are the buildings still empty, one of them is even emptier than before, <laughs> which is incredible. There used to be, like, sawhorses and a laptop in one, and now they're gone. So it's just a bare concrete floor. So we still have no idea what's going on at Foxconn. The buildings are still empty. Uh, we're tracking that story. If you're in Wisconsin, you know what's going on. Get a hold of Josh. Maybe, maybe the innovation is invisibility. That would be incredible it. if that was ultimately the statement. Like, Fox sounds like we did it. All the people are invisible. <laughs> like the true gotcha, Verge. <laughs> yeah. What's what's the killer app for five G? Invisibility. Uh, I would accept that. I would be like, you know what? I was wrong. That has yet to happen. We've been talking a lot about Microsoft and Sony cloud games, Stadia. They announced a joint partnership on cloud gaming and AI literally today. It's it's very loose in the way that these announcements are. We don't know that much about Stadia. Yeah, it's just like what is happening. But Google entered the cloud gaming business and then Microsoft and Sony did like the classic international relations move of immediately forming an alliance between rivals. Okay. That's well, it, does, it does look like Sony's going to use uh, at Microsoft Azure to run their thing. But the, the big question is, are they going to, you know, work together from the consumer side in some way, shape, or form? Because, you know, Sony's got a great history of uh, being open with its games. Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sony doesn't, like, operate a cloud. You'd think they would, like, have called Amazon first. Like, they can't call Google. Google's their competitor. Yeah. It doesn't seem likely they would call the Xbox people. Did like the AWS people just blow it with Sony? Like they made the call and they were like, "Yeah, we're not. We just whatever games." And Sony is like, "Fine." And they call right anyway. So that's happening. Cloud <laughs> gaming is a thing. Uh, Chris Welch is in Chicago as we speak, speed testing a Galaxy S10 5G. It is getting a gigabit down on Verizon's network right now. It's getting a gigabit down if you're standing on the exact right block with a perfect line of sight <laughs> to a microcell pointing directly at you without any rain or obstructions between you and the microcell. Fair. Okay. <laughs> and it and the and the upload is only an LTE. So it's a gigabit yeah. down and 60 up perfect LTE. So it's still not real. It's realer than it was the last time he was there with like a, a wacky Motorola phone with like a Moto Mod on the back because this is an actual phone not it's not a phone with like another part it's an actual phone yeah. uh i just think this makes at&t's 5g stuff look like pure nonsense even more like verizon can tell you that there's a real 5g network that's up and running you can use it and at&t is like we shipped an icon to everyone's phone like anyway so that's happening sprint is announced its first 5g phones are going to ship on may 31st so the 5g stuff is up and running uh, this is very personally exciting to me and probably to Dieter. Google Assistant is finally like here on the Sonos One and the Sonos Beam. Yeah, it doesn't support multi-user, so like voice recognition stuff. Also, it's slow. It's super slow. It's way slower than a proper Google Home. Ooh. But you yeah. can, if you have a bunch of old Sonuses, you can just use a Google Home Puck. Yes. What's it called? A Nest Dot. <laughs> <laughs> what they rename it? Uh, you can just use a regular Google Home and light up your Sonos speakers, which is great. Yeah, 
Maybe uh, that's what I'll do. I'll just stick a mini on top of one of my Sonos surrounds. Uh, Chris Welch and I got to see the new Apple TV app, uh, which is very confusing because it runs on a device called the Apple TV and then will support a service called Apple TV+. Plus. So whatever that is named, uh, it looks shockingly like the existing Apple TV app. They Many of the squares are now circles, is what I will say. Like, Or I'm sorry, many of the squares are now ovals. Okay. Wait, wait. A rectangle with rounded corners is not an oval. I'd like you to issue a correction on that. Fine. I'm going back to many of the squares are now circles, which is even more wrong. I'm just going to stand by that one. Uh, yeah, they rounded a bunch of it off. The thing that's interesting is they are telling us that if you subscribe to HBO through Apple in the app, not only will it look better like they're you know they're promising these the best quality so they're they're saying it will look better if you subscribe to HBO and watch it through this app but if you go to a device that doesn't have the Apple TV app and you want to download like HBO Go you'll be able to auth it through Apple so like you know right now you like auth if you subscribe to HBO through Comcast or Fios or like I have Fios and you like log in it says select your service provider and you log in with your Fios credentials and it authorizes HBO Apple mm-hmm. is going to show it up in that list so that means Apple is officially a cable company now. Yeah. The same as like Sling TV shows up in that stuff, right? If you subscribe to the premium channels, you can you can off it. But yeah, Apple yeah, is basically okay. doing the cable company off, which I don't think most people didn't expect. Uh, the Apple TV app is also uh, out on the newer Samsung TVs, uh, which is just wild that they there's a, Apple made a Tizen app. Everybody, you can get it now. Um, I asked them if they like if their Tizen team and their Android team and their WebOS team and their wackadoo Vizio OS team like we're talking and they're like we're not disclosing how the teams will operate. Um, hmm. So I, <laughs> I just assume like the 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 team building the WebOS app is like in the basement like they don't get they're not in the spaceship you know they're just like down the street in another another part of the country. Anyway, it's out. You can get it. You can play with it. This is a big update. Casey wrote the big piece about Facebook moderation, contractors underpaid, feeling bad, having depression. Facebook is giving them all a raise, $18 an hour minimum in some markets. It goes up from there depending on where you live. Facebook said they had been planning this. It's been in the works. It had nothing to do with the reporting. Um, I think we all know that this is just a victory lap for Casey. Like He exposed what was happening. He got them a raise. I'm very proud of him. The Galaxy Home, you might recall this, the Bixby competitor to Alexa, in the HomePod and Google Assistant devices, uh, just missed its ship date, and then Samsung won't say why. It's hanging out with the Fold. <laughs> <laughs> I think they realized they made a Weber grill with a bad assistant, and they, they should rethink it. Uh, so it's just not out yet. And then lastly, Dieter, you, you should get into this a little bit more. Last week at I.O., Google announced the big roll together of Google and Nest, yeah. and they said works with Nest is getting shut down. Yeah, Dan wrote a great piece being like, this is bad for a variety of reasons. And then Google Today issued a big blog post saying, actually, we're walking a lot of this back. What's what's going on there? Nest had this thing where a bunch of their passwords were insecure because they didn't have two-factor because a bunch of people were using passwords. The solution was, well, let's just use Google's login infrastructure. Uh, in order to do that, they have to like figure out how to authenticate everything through like your Google login. Google looked at works with Nest and said, 
this is really scary because all your personal home data can get out. So we're shutting it down, and now uh, everything has to work with, uh, you know, works with Google. And you know, it turns out if you like if this and that, there's a Google Assistant routine just waiting for you. And the, a whole lot of it was going through the Google Assistant. Uh, but they had a very aggressive timeline for shutting down the Works with Nest program, and it was unclear what was going to happen to a lot of stuff that actually really mattered to consumers, like I don't know, using Alexa or some like smart light integrations that hadn't connected up to Google yet uh so there was an uproar there was a fur furor and so they now are saying they're not gonna shut down works with nest connections beyond august 31st Uh, but if you do switch to a google account to get the higher level of security then it will get shut down and you'll need to switch some stuff and in the meantime they're going to work really hard to make sure that all the stuff that people actually care about will work with the google version of works with nest instead of the amazon version and I'm just going to say this is two Google I.O.s in a row uh, where Google made assumptions about how people felt about privacy, data privacy and just whiffed it. Last year was duplex. And this year was, yeah, no, Nesta, we're going to lock down security because people really don't want their data shared via if this, then that. And nope, all, everybody got mad at that. So like they're, they're uh, I don't know, they're vain. Their weather vain for how most people actually feel about their privacy moves is a little bit off, I think. Well, and the lesson here is they should have phased it from the start, right? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people in the world who tell their Alexas to turn the thermostat up and down. Yep. And they should have been like, we're, we have a plan to continue this, not we're shutting it down and everything will be fine. Right. So on, the, on balance, I think it's good, especially because the Google Home ecosystem is starting to become a better competitor to Alexa. But it's not there yet. So this could have been the forcing function the whole way along, but they, they like went too fast. Well, the the thing is, like, long-term, like, having stuff work with Alexa means that it sort of gets connected up to a bunch of other stuff Alexa does. Um, and if all that eventually goes away, then it really is a forcing function to have you start working with Google stuff, right? If you want those, like, extra hooks and extra, like, you know, integrations to work. Yeah. Routines and whatnot. I just want to say it's 2019, and what we're fundamentally talking about here is thermostat ecosystem Uh, (laughs) lock-in, and that's horrible. Actually, Uh, (laughs) what we're fundamentally talking about is like thermostat macros. Yeah, thermostat macro lock-in. This is yeah. Who gets to run the macro is essentially what we're talking about here. If we did episode titles of that style, I would say the episode title for the show would be thermostat macro lock-in. Yeah, I'm just putting it out there. Okay, that's enough updates. Let's talk about some phones. So, Dieter, you, we obviously talked about the Pixel 3a a lot last week with uh, Hiroshi and Steph in the interview episode. That was great for coming. But you actually reviewed the phone and you I reviewed did. the OnePlus 7 Pro. So let's, yeah. let's talk about those. What did you think of the 3a? Uh, the 3a is remarkable because it's $400 and like, or I think it's $480 for the, uh, the bigger screen one. Um, it feels like a $400 phone. Well, maybe a little bit better, but the camera is amazing. And so the, the only question is, how much do you care about it being fast and how much do you care about it being fast for like two or three years? Uh, and I don't know. That's, that's a hard one to answer. Um, but like in terms of like quality and will you miss out on stuff and does it feel like a phone that does phone stuff and doesn't annoy you every day? Like it's totally there. Yeah. Um, I will say I, you know, sent one to Dan Seifert and, uh, he is less optimistic about its, its speed and less happy about its uh, large bezels. Um, 
But I think the consensus is is like, yeah, no, it's it's fine. If if you want a fast phone or a more expensive phone, like you won't be happy with it. Uh, but if you know you've got four hundred dollars to spend on a phone, this is absolutely the phone you should buy. So Dan's point to me repeatedly is that most people aren't spending for at least in the United States are not spending four hundred dollars on a phone, right? They're either spending like a hundred and fifty dollars on like a weird blue phone, on a, like a Metro PCS or whatever, or they're paying a monthly fee. And then the the sort of step change between a four hundred dollar phone and eight hundred dollar phone is minimal, right? Because you're looking at dollars per month, right? So there's Google's would have two responses to this. Um, one of which I'm not sure about. One of which I'm really interested to see if it works. Um, so the first response is uh, nobody buys a phone in a market unless there's a good phone in that market. So like nobody bought thousand dollar phones until there were thousand dollar phones, and so there weren't any really truly good four to five hundred dollar phones out there. So it's possible that they could actually changed consumer behavior with this phone. That's what they're trying to do. And their lever for doing it is the other thing, which is they're finally distributing this phone for real instead of it being in a sad kiosk in the corner of a Verizon store and having, <laughs> you know, weird billboards up on the like the, you know, the freeways that yeah. compare it to the phone X, which by the way, those billboards are so cowardly. Um it just is call fact. it the iPhone. Anyway. Apparently uh, some so, of the billboards have small print. That say the, the yeah. phone X is an iPhone XS, and that's just yeah. like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's just the most like you didn't even hide thing. the ball. You like hid the ball, and then you're like, the ball is behind me. Like, <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, the big question is now that you can get these in basically every carrier except AT and T because AT and T hates I don't know this phone. Um, that it's now being sold on Amazon of all places. Google and Amazon made up for that somehow. Yeah. Uh, and they're like it's already being discounted by like a hundred bucks basically everywhere. So it's actually like a three hundred dollar phone. Um, and so, will that final actual real distribution for Google phones and not a sad kiosk in the corner of a Verizon store actually convert into real sales for these phones that matter in terms of market share? Yeah, I, mean, I have no idea. Like, right? There's not in. I don't. Know, I, I think it comes down to like, is Google going to market the hell out of this phone in a way that they haven't before? And I think maybe that won't happen until it's on every carrier, right? Right. I think we're anticipating that AT&T will like fall into line at some point. OnePlus 7 Pro, which is f fundamentally more interesting, because that's a flagship phone at 700 bucks that it like. Yep. The only the only complaint that I think people have is like it's kind of big. It's pretty big. It feels bigger than like a S10 Plus. Like you, it's big. Uh, it looks exactly like a Samsung. Like. <laughs> except for like the except for the strip of cameras on the back, like the way the glass curves, it's just like Samsung, Samsung, Samsung. The screen is amazing because it's got that high refresh rate. Uh, there is some Twitter back and forth because Marquez said that it is not a variable refresh rate, but I had said that it will change its refresh rate depending if you're watching a video. Turns out we're both right. It doesn't do the thing that like an iPad does, where if you stop scrolling, the refresh rate slows down. So it's always at 90 hertz, killing your battery. But it does know if you're watching a video that's like 24 frames or whatever, and it'll slow down for the video. That's the only thing it'll slow down for. Anyway, uh, <laughs> to me, the, the big story with the OnePlus is, like, there's two things. The screen and the camera. OnePlus managed to have the best screen you can get on a phone. It's pretty big, but it is the best screen on a phone right now, period. So that's cool. But then the question is, did they make a good camera? And, um, man... The answer is they made a good enough camera. Yeah. Um, and you look at all the other reviews, uh, I think that the opinion is basically saying it's pretty mixed, and which is a pretty good sign. Like, 
I think it's more than good enough uh, unless camera's like your number one priority. Um, but like you can make this thing fall down really easily. Really? Uh, but oh yeah, like portrait mode's mess. Dark mode is nowhere as good. Or sorry, nightscape is nowhere as good as other other night modes. The contrast is soft. You know, blah 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 blah. But you know, you just like take a shot and put it on Instagram. It looks good every time. Yeah. Um, you know, when you've got good light. So you can make it fall down a little bit easier than you can make other cameras fall down. But it is not like oh well. If the camera didn't suck, I'd tell you to buy it. It's like the camera's good enough. Yeah. I have to yeah. say, I the more time I spend with the 10s camera, the more I'm like, oh, this camera's not good. Yeah. I mean, well, it's it just, I think I'm at the point where I think all smartphone cameras are bad. Like, I've just arrived at that point where I use a DSLR consistently enough now where I'm like, oh, this is disappointing. And I think yeah. the thing that happened was everyone stopped using real cameras, and our entire point of reference changed to basically what can the iPhone 4 do, and is this better? And I, I'm I'm just reminding everyone that, Real cameras are still significantly better. <laughs> I'm more willing to trade off on camera performance in my phone because I, I carry a real camera on so often now. It's because I produce Spawn. Like, like that's it. Wow. That was like the only the only reason I added a camera back to my life is like the baby. I was wondering how noticeable screen is because it's it's tough when you hear 90 hertz. Like, I can't watch you on YouTube sell me 90 hertz. <laughs> so <please. Yeah. laughs> you would notice it, Paul. You, you would immediately notice it. Like, you can feel it when you scroll. Uh, it's just, it just feels better. Animations are smoother, um, but it, like, scrolling, which, you know, Android has a particularly spotty history of being good at, <laughs> um, uh, feels very, very good. And it's, it's really subtle, though, right? You know, I went back to my iPhone XR, and, you know, it's fine. Um, like it's, it's the sort of thing that like screen people will notice and nobody else would. Now, if that screen made the phone cost an extra $200, I would be like, yeah, but don't spend the money on it. It's not worth it. But you can get a phone with 256 gigs of storage and 12 gigs of RAM and the fastest processor available on Android for $750. Yeah. And it has the best screen on any phone ever. Like crazy town. I think you forgot to mention one very important thing that it has. Pop-up selfie camera. Which is a pop-up selfie camera. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yep. By the way, if you like, if you just like lower it and raise it over and over and over again, it finally pops up a warning saying, yo, chill out. You're like gonna wear this thing out. Uh, how much do you use the pop-up selfie camera? I mean, as much as you use any selfie camera. Um, it's it it loads up about as like if you like I don't know even on my like iPhone XR like if you hit the button to like rotate the screen it takes like a second yeah th th give or take that's about how long it takes by by the, by the time the software's like I'm taking a selfie now the camera's up there yeah so it didn't bother me now I didn't use it for face unlock because you know anything it's just insecure so whatever um, the fingerprint so reader on the screen's pretty fast it's so fast yeah it's stupid fast and they made it big. Uh, which matters because it's way too small in the S10. Maybe this is my next. And you the battery, should... the battery life is that's a surprise. It's well, so uh, there's a little bit of mixed there. Most reviewers are are getting what I got, which is more than a day, uh, but mm. a couple are getting less. Uh, you should be able to expect screen on time in like the six to seven hour range, if that means anything to you as an Android user. I think it's fine, but I've also been using small phones for a really long time. Like I've been using a Pixel Three for the past couple of months, and like it has atrocious battery life. Yeah, so maybe right. I was too impressed. But like just like using it like a phone, I got more than a day, which is pretty rare. I'm um, buying this phone. You should like grab the review unit from Dan that uh, that's in New York and give it a try. Okay, I, I didn't buy the last Pixel on the show, so I feel like I have to. To make mm. up for it. All right. Paul. Yeah. 
there's a PC that folds now. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked me about it. Well, okay, Lenovo, uh, in a, an effort to endlessly dilute its X1 brand, has a ThinkPad <laughs> X1 prototype foldable <laughs> PC. It literally has nothing in common with the DNA of ThinkPad. Uh, it's a screen that folds. So imagine like Samsung's phone without a screen on the outside, just a big screen on the inside, but it's a laptop. It's a 13.3 inch, 4.3, 2K OLED display inside a, uh, a book sized form factor. And uh, you look like a dork if you put a software <laughs> keyboard up on it, but you could <laughs> theoretically type on it. Uh, th apparently, they're going to they think of shipping it like 2020, sounds like. Um, maybe maybe Intel will have some better processors by then. Uh, but uh, mm. the, the, ideally, <laughs> mm. I, I think this is this is a form factor that if if it if it's operational, right? And it doesn't break, and the crease isn't bonkers. Which, in you know, uh, Heim did a video. Uh, you should definitely check it out so you can see it in action. The, the, there is a noticeable crease when it's open, uh, but uh, you you can open it up, set it up on its with a kickstand, and then you use a, um, an external keyboard, right? So. Mm -hmm. My ideal situation is like a BYOK, bring your own preferred Bluetooth keyboard, right? Yeah. Um, and, and now and you have, sure, <laughs> and mouse. <laughs> and, but it's just, see, I, I, I feel like I could use a computer like that at, at a, a coffee shop, you know? You put the, put the tablet up on its little kickstand, you've got a Bluetooth keyboard. It's like the iPad form factor. Yeah. Um, but it, it has a lot more flexibility because you can use it like a tablet. You can use it like a book. Yeah. Uh, I just like the, the idea of you saving keyboard. the space of the laptop by folding the screen, but then carrying like a full extended keyboard with you <laughs> and like a wired mouse. Like that to me is like I've made all the wrong trade-offs confidently. Like this screen is a lot easier to carry around than a laptop, but here's my full-size Apple extended keyboard too. The thing I've realized with laptops that if you're smaller than 15 inches and you're lighter than a MacBook Pro and you're less than like an inch thick, it just literally does not matter. Or you have like two of those three specs. It just literally doesn't matter anything else. Uh, it's completely portable in your backpack. Like I, and, and maybe that's just my personal metric because I've accustomed myself to a, carrying a 13.3 inch MacBook Pro from 2015. So anything, any improvement on that, I'm completely fine with putting in my backpack. But I feel like I could put this and a little, little, little slice of Bluetooth keyboard be completely <laughs> fine. You have to have a full size keyboard, Paul. That's, what I, that's the law. I'm making it yeah. the law. <laughs> I want a pop-out keyboard. I want this to be like yeah. a Razor phone where they have like a, it's a tablet, it's a book, but there's also a keyboard and the keyboard pops out. And it's a hardware keyboard. Wait, pops out from where? Uh, back somewhere. It slides out. <laughs> I get it. Like it's uh, the side of it that's the battery and that is also the place where you would type is also as like a little extra layer that's a thin hardware keyboard that you can kind of slide out. Yeah. And fold oh, and over they, they, or could, they could fit it because like when it slid in, they could have the keys compressed so it wouldn't have to be that thick and then they'd like pop out. They'd like, when you pull the keyboard out, that'd yeah. be pretty exciting. This is yeah. both a sci-fi dream and a nightmare of moving parts. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> Lenovo would totally make this. Have you noticed that whenever there's a crazy new like PC form factor, Lenovo is like 
on it right away. They had the yoga mm-hmm. book with the thing and the e-ink, and then they did the dual screen thing, and they like were the first to clone the Surface, and I think, I don't know, blah, 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 blah. Like If you said the, the new trend in, in PCs are computers with razor blades that shoot out the sides, the yeah. would be like, yep, we'll make that. You bet. Yeah, it's our new brand. It's called uh, Think Death. We, uh, <laughs> we just kill you when you use the computer. Before we move on, I just Chris Welch, we said, is on the ground in Chicago testing 5G. He asked us what he should test, and I said, you should see what blocks the signal with increasingly hilarious or creepy things. Like, start with paper, move to water balloon, then maybe a tree. Um, he just sent me a video. Uh, a street mime effectively blocks a 5G signal. <laughs> <laughs> Now, it, what is the what material is the street mime pretending to hold? Mm, yeah, is yeah, it a fake just... brick wall? Or is it lead? <laughs> Perfect. All right, well, I cannot wait for that post. <laughs> it's all happening. All right, gadget time is over. We're going to take a break and come back with some Frank policy talk. It's, I mean, it's going to get heat. Let's just Who's be Frank? Frank is the mime. All right, we're going away. We're having an ad. We're coming back. We're going to get into what's going on here. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Addy, we're back. Yes, the fun part is over. The fun, the fun is over. <laughs> now, the fun is just beginning. I would say the action around regulating our social platforms uh, increased substantially over the past like week and a half. So I'm just going to do some context, and I want you to explain what's going on this week. So last week, Chris Hughes, who is a co-founder of Facebook that I think people who work at Facebook don't take very seriously, but indeed he was Mark Zuckerberg's roommate and thus a co-founder of Facebook, uh, put an editorial in the New York Times calling for Facebook to be broken up. Bernie Sanders today said he agreed that Facebook should be broken up. He joins Elizabeth Warren. So there's a lot of, like, breakup Facebook activity. Facebook, they put out a response. Basically, the response was, well, we're very rich, so we can protect <laughs> democracy. And if you break us up, those companies will be less rich, 
one third is rich, in fact, and thus, therefore, one third is able to protect democracy from doing the math correctly. So that's like that was the context of last week that led into this week. You wrote a piece saying the Hughes plan to break up Facebook was particularly problematic about speech. I want you to explain that. But then the White House launched a tool so that people could report if they'd been unfairly censored by Facebook uh, and Twitter. There's an entire new wave of conservative bias accusations. And then there's the fact that the social media bias reporting tool is like fundamentally collects data about you as well. So just walk us through what's going on. Okay. So yeah, like you said, last week, call to break up Facebook. Those have been kind of constant for a long time. And then Bernie Sanders comes out in favor of it. And that's kind of where we are with that. But it's just kind of gaining momentum. Mm-hmm. Having Sanders and Warren on board here is... They don't like each other. So, so it's going to be mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. Yeah. that's a, it's, it's a debate topic. You can see it coming. It's everyone's going to it's going to come up in every sort of policy conversation with with those two leading the charge. And Morgan's plan is granted to break up basically every big tech company, so that's going to be a much larger debate too. Yeah, and that actually ties into the conversation we had earlier this week. That's like an app store monopoly plan. So that's all happening. But the the other part of Hughes's editorial was like there should be a regulator for speech on the internet, which you think is pretty problematic. I don't know what exactly he's talking about because so much of it was that there is kind of a broadly accepted, eh, we should have somebody to kind of regulate speech on the internet. <laughs> and that's really problematic. His uh, The phrase he used was, quote, the agency should create guidelines for acceptable speech on social media, which, like, we already have that. That yeah. is the exceptions to free speech that exists now. And it is bizarre to say that we need either an extra agency that's going to make all of these extra sort of enforcement rules that will either be super toothless or weird, or that he literally wants there to be more categories of speech that are regulated on the internet than offline, which is also really bizarre. Yeah. Uh, Addy, can I... Can I be a straw man for this free speech thing, and then you can you can light me on fire and knock me down? Disclosure: My wife works for Oculus, which is a division of Facebook. Uh, <laughs> if one of the free speech rules that we've got right now is you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, that is not a free speech rule right now. Aha! Okay, what, is, what is a free speech rule? Um, you can't make threats of credi- credible threats of violence against people. Okay, and do you think that there is there's no difference in like the what the rules should be online than offline at all? I mean, there are differences, and they come up in case law. Like the right. difference, like defamation law, say online, people can make the claim that you don't take stuff online very seriously, so defamation has a lower burden. But if you're actually going to write whole different laws that protect completely different categories of speech, I mean, I guess you could do that, but that's a really huge step, and that's a step that you should not just throw in midway through your Let's Break Up Facebook manifesto. Also, well, fire in a crowded yeah. theater is not... A, it's not like there was a case where someone yelled fire in a crowded theater. It was an al- an analogy that someone made in a case that was overturned many decades ago. It would probably still, like there are cases where if it went to trial, it would probably be illegal. But yeah. it's not like that's a settled issue. And people use that a lot and he used it and it's really terrible. Yeah. There are no police monitoring theaters at this time for people improperly <laughs> yelling fire. So th- there's that. And then there's sort of the like conservative bias moment, right, which is, in my opinion, based on a misreading of the the governing law, which is Section 230, which is, from what I understand, conservatives want to make it so that we're making this false choice between whether Facebook is a publisher or a platform. But just explain explain 230 real quick so we, we all have it right. 
because I want to lead into the conservative bias argument, which is happening at a very high level right now, literally at the president's level. So to really oversimplify, 230 is that if you run an information service provider, if you run a website or a web service, basically. We, we, we run a website. Yes. This applies to, to The Verge. The Verge. Um, so if we post something on our site and it's illegal you can, or it's defamation or something, you can sue us. If someone else posts something on the site, then you cannot sue us. Yeah. So just to – there's like our webpage and there's like the byline. Like Dieter wrote the OnePlus 7 Pro review. I did. You can sue him for that. You can sue the version. Oh, good. You just can. Like, you work here, you posted it. <laughs> then below that. Please is, don't give anybody any ideas. <laughs> well, just, Dieter, I regret to inform you as your counsel that you've been sued. Uh, below that is our comment section, which is user generated content. Anybody can, like, post in our comments. But 230 gives us the power to, well, 230 shields us from liability for what's in those comments. So if. You want to sue us for something that's in the Verge's comments. You can't because we, we're protected. But it also importantly gives us the ability to moderate those comments. Right. So that's like very important to us. That's the thing that enables us to have a comment section. We're right. able to moderate them. If you spell it biased and not biased, I will ban you. That is still true. You can moderate it without being called a publisher is kind of the important thing. Yeah. Right. So even though we are a publisher, we are not the publisher of those comments and we still get to moderate them. Facebook. Twitter, Reddit are giant comment sections, right? They, they don't even have the other bit. So, like, the same law applies. 230 applies so that they're not liable for what users do on those platforms, and they have the ability to moderate it. And I think the false dichotomy is particularly conservatives are saying you're, you're biased against us. You're making moderation decisions against us. And if you make enough of those, eventually you become a, a publisher, and you're now liable for the whole thing which is just flatly wrong in, in my reading. It seems like they're not totally sure whether that is already the law or whether that should be the law. Yeah. Ted Cruz believes it is the law. He asked a bunch of really terrible questions about whether Facebook was a, quote, neutral platform. They don't even call it publisher now necessarily. It is also the they have added the idea that you can be a platform, but you have to be a neutral platform to receive these protections, which is just something that's not even there. Yeah. It's not in the stat. I mean... Ted Cruz went to Harvard Law School. <laughs> it's infuriating. Uh, so that leads into the White House launching this tool, which is it? I just it, yeah. is it a, tool? a tool. It's a web this form. A, well, it's yeah. a thing. I mean, it's a web form. Dieter, what is a tool? <laughs> <laughs> the White House launched an instrument of state control. But explain what it is. It's a web form uh, <laughs> that. Starts with, in all caps, social media platforms should advance freedom of speech. Yet too many Americans have seen their accounts suspended, banned, or fraudulently reported for unclear violations, in scare quotes, of user policies. No matter your views, if you suspect political bias caused such an action to be taken against you, share your story with President Trump. And what follows is a, like, 10-question questionnaire. It asks whether you're a U.S. citizen. It asks you to describe which platform you were censored on. What was your account? Is there a screenshot? To tell if you're not a robot, it asks you to put in the year that the Declaration of Independence was signed. That's great. Mm. And then you can submit it and it goes By the way, any robot somewhere. could have that information pre-programmed into it, correct? Or you could just ask Alexa when the Declaration of Independence was signed. <laughs> just like, I'm just saying, if you were, if you, if one, Paul, just to be clear, the state of robotics is such that you can program one number into a robot, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
What is the point of this forum, do you think? I'm hesitant to impute, like, good or meaningful intent to a lot of things that <laughs> the government does because I think a lot of the time they just kind of throw something up. Yeah. Like, Trump might have been just, I'm really mad about my Twitter follower count, which is yeah. a thing he says all the time. And someone was like, here, we'll put up a web forum. But the thing it'll, it might be used for is that... There are all of these hearings about whether tech is biased against conservatives, and they talk about how all they have are anecdotes, which is correct because tech companies don't really release a lot of data. And now they get to get a lot of anecdotes, which they can turn into some form of data. Yeah. And because this is Trump talking and trying to get people to fill things out, that's probably going to have sort of a political skew. I'm like already imagining the horrible debate moment where they like – Every candidate does this on both sides of the aisle. They're like, I met Sally from Kansas. Sally was censored by Twitter, and now she's dead, right? And, like, you can just see it coming because they're going to collect this this set of unverified stories of how horrible it is. And they're also just – it's really it, – this is not Trump's fault. It is really hard to tell why anything happens on social media. Yes. Like, why your search ranking is the way it is. Why you got – downranked in something, sometimes why you get banned. And then it fosters a lot of really conspiratorial thinking. And then this just plays into that. So one way to read this, if you were to be maximally uh, uncharitable towards the administration, is that this is the first step towards directly regulating speech on platforms and saying, this is what you can and can't post, the sort of Chris Hughes model. Like, we're we're whitelisting this stuff. We're saying it has to be allowed. This type of political speech, regardless of its consequence. That's really hard for them to do. That has massive First Amendment like problems associated with it. So maybe they'll do that, but that seems very, very difficult. The other thing they could do is the thing that it seems like Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, who we interviewed about this stuff, have already threatened to do, which is write more exceptions to 230. So like the big one that just happened was FOSTA and SESTA, which says, okay, you can't have like sex trafficking on your website. It led to entire companies like going out of business because Backpage had a lot of ads for prostitution and sex work on their yeah. website. And Backpage was taken down under laws that had nothing to do with FOSTA and SESTA. And yet the law passed, right? Like yeah. the, that's a big recent exception to 230 that was passed and it had this set of consequences. You could carve out more exceptions to 230, which basically would mean the platforms are liable for more things. That's like the mechanism of it. And if you go all the way, they're liable for everything on the platform which is an impossibility, and they would just go out of business. Yeah. Well, if you go down the Ted Cruz sort of fairness doctrine for the internet, as some people have called it, way, then you also end up having some situation where they're trying to define bias in law, and that's going to just really bizarre. Yeah. And this all just to me seems unworkable on its face, right? Like I don't know how you would engineer such a situation because you have to you have to make definitions about things that are basically impossible to define and for any moment in time. But then on top of it, like that's a lot of government intervention into private companies for conservatives. And what drives me crazy about this is that if you're very interested in the internet being neutral, you maybe should break up Facebook so there's more competition. <laughs> right? Like that's the problem is that these are like monopolies and there's only two big social platforms that they care about, three if you count YouTube. And if there was just more competition in, in the system, you wouldn't be so mad if Facebook banned you because you might go to someplace else with different rules. And I, don't, I just don't – it just seems like those ideas are ships passing in the night and no one quite gets it. it it's driving me crazy. Yeah. It, I mean I don't know how much any 
buddy who's talking about this cares about logical consistency or hypocrisy <laughs> is the thing. Like, it feels like I'm kind of walking into a trap by caring about that. But, yeah, it's really frustrating. And then the other thing that drives me crazy is that the Republicans all oppose net neutrality, where there is even less competition and more control by our cell carriers and by our, our wired broadband providers. And so if you are really mad about bias in the news, you would look at AT&T that now has the ability to zero rate CNN, which it owns, and charge you data prices for Fox News. But that just, like... Totally over the heads of everybody. No, no, and that's the thing. It's not. Is that they actually there is Ajit Pai makes this connection. Like when he was talking about net neutrality, he's like, "Well, Twitter can censor what you say." So they're clearly aware that there is a like a connection here. Right. Well, his thing is, you shouldn't worry about net neutrality. It's fine. We should worry about Twitter, which can actually censor you. And I just don't. If you want it to be neutral, the whole stack should be neutral. Like. Maybe you're right. Maybe we should not worry about logically logical consistency in the government. But that to me is the craziest thing is most people only have but one or two choices for the core pipe of information in their house. And that we're just like totally willing to let like every broadband company decide what it can throttle or not or block or not. We literally wiped out those rules. The broadband companies are buying media companies that they are going to treat preferentially. That's their business strategy. But we're worried about individual accounts on Twitter being blocked seems absolutely disconnect from reality crazy. If I were going to actually try to draw a distinction, I would say that there's – that they, people who don't worry about net neutrality think that they are fine with commercial speech being controlled, but that they are particularly worried about a category that they think of as political speech. I don't know that that actually makes legal sense, but if you're trying to talk about sort of a coherent strategy or theory, I can see that. I mean yeah. isn't the coherent strategy or theory that uh, it's just simply – uh, people get angrier about it because it affects them directly and personally as like an individual that could get banned. And it's a better strategy to get people paying attention to the thing that they're most angry about than be consistent in how you apply policy across the entire tech stack. Look, I'm trying to be charitable. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. We're trying to assume that all these arguments are having good faith. Like, yes, are, is the thing that's fundamentally happening here a lot of a lot of Trump riling people up? Yeah, that's what he does. Like, I, I don't. And do also, I think Trump has ever heard of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act? I do not. Like, I just fundamentally do not believe that he's ever been briefed on it or how it works. I think someone has told him that he can threaten Twitter and Jack Dorsey will show up wearing a like a rumpled suit and a bad hat and like he'll have a conversation with him. And that's indeed what happened. But I just, to me, the answer to these problems fundamentally is the introduction of competition at every layer of the system such that we are not making government policy determinations about whether AT&T can zero rate HBO because you could buy it if you want. But like, there's just not enough competition for that. There's not enough competition for Facebook because it owns its two biggest competitors. Like, it just doesn't count. Like, Instagram is not meaningful competition to Facebook. Wait, does that mean logically we need to institute net neutrality for Facebook if we don't break it up? Yeah. Okay. Right. I'm just saying, like, if you if you go down this road where you just have one powerful actor that is a quasi state, which Facebook thinks of itself as, then you should it should have all the transparency requirements of the state. It should have all the regulations of the. It should be the state. It might as well just be the state. Right. I would rather have that than this weird dance where we pretend it, it's a private company operating in a real market. I feel like Paul's going crazy. Paul's like ready to yell at me. 
Uh, there's a, a big part. I mean, I follow a lot of conservatives on Twitter and it, it is a, a, uh, a debate in the conservative movement. Uh, and it, it's kind of a, de- I would call it a debate, mostly conservatives and libertarians versus r- what I think of as Republicans. Some people <laughs> oh call God. them r- rhinos. Oh no. Um, oh boy. But there, there is a big difference of opinion on how the government should handle di- this perceived censorship that is happening on the social networks. Well, I think first you have to prove it. Well, I will say that people have experienced enough of it and they see that all the people that they follow on YouTube, all the people they follow on Twitter, all the people they follow on Facebook have encountered serious censorship. Like the, the major voices that they're following are being suppressed in some way that when, uh, these, Tech companies try to com- convince, or or if, if you could write an article on The Verge and giving a hundred reasons why it's not true, people have experienced it themselves, and so they know it's true. And so this this gaslighting is not going to convince this the the right that they have not been censored. Wait, no, the the question is whether they like whether if you follow people on the left, they will also tell stories of getting banned for no reason. Like it's not whether. People don't get banned on the right. I don't know. That's the thing that I feel like never gets addressed in the hearings, and I just really would love to know if that's a thing that right that it's there's an so argument against. Hard. It's so hard to yeah, figure out that ratio. But I'm just saying that the the subject the subjective perception from the right is that they are f- far and away out and out get an outsized amount of censorship. Right. So I just want to challenge you on that. Right. Yes, it is true that we could write an article and we could say it's not happening using the data that we have. Which to Addie's point is not sufficient data, right? Like mm-hmm. the platforms are not nearly transparent enough about how the algorithms work, about what gets censored, when it gets censored, about any particular decision conceded, right? I wish the platforms mm-hmm. were more transparent. But we have some data and we can write articles and say this actually isn't true. That is not gaslighting, right? To like state the fact. It is perhaps not compatible with the experience that these people are having, but it is not con- insisting that a, a thing is, right? Like. It's not. It doesn't need to be persuasive. So Casey makes the point. He made it in the newsletter yesterday. He makes it in the newsletter almost every week. The the top stories shared on Facebook yeah. are routinely from conservative f- publishers. So like, if there's this like systematic bias in the system, you would not see that. This Casey argument. I haven't ha- had an analogy until today, but I thought of one today. If I was playing basketball against LeBron James. And you jumped on LeBron James for a piggyback ride. LeBron James would still destroy me at basketball. The score at the end would be 75 to like two, you know, but Wait, first of all, we have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a small man, Paul, and I do not believe right. this is correct. So, so just because you, the outcome does not dictate what has been happening. Casey's argument would presuppose that the amount of voices who are trying to say things are exactly 50-50 on each side. And the amount of audiences who are trying to hear things are 50-50 on each side. No, I think that's a lot. Like, I understand what you're saying. And I think that makes a reasonable amount of sense and that you could draw an analogy I think there are analogies that you don't want to draw with, like, say, there are successful women or something, and you can yeah. say there's a successful woman. That doesn't mean women don't face discrimination. But I still just don't think that answers the question of whether this is confirmation bias, because especially everyone agrees that social media platforms are awful and constantly yeah. ban you for no reason and do terrible things. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're not. None of these companies are well run. 
right? Like, <laughs> just to be clear, like, I don't think anybody listening to Vergecast believes that I think Mark Zuckerberg is like a great leader of his company or that mm. Jack Dorsey is anything but a, like a, a shared spectral hallucination we have instead of like an effective CEO. But they are private companies. And so it is extremely weird that they're not allowed to just do stuff, right? In a, in a place where we're pretty, pretty aggressively deregulating every other kind of private company. That's why it's a debate, because some people think it is so damaging that we have to get the government to intervene. Other people, like myself, would say the government is garbage at doing anything, and so if it intervenes, it will make everything worse. So that is not a solution. But just because you don't want government intervention doesn't mean you can't say that Facebook is garbage and, and should stop censoring people. Again, my proposed intervention is that you introduce competition into the system and maybe there's a better version of Facebook that more is competently run, that is more transparent, and that is a thing that they can compete on. That just, it doesn't seem, that seems that seems like an idea that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have, mm. and not an idea that has as much traction on the conservative side, although it's, antitrust enforcement of that kind is like fundamentally a market solution, and it has its roots in conservatism. So... That, that to me is like, what is the Vergecast about? It's about competition, like ultimately, like I wish there were more choices. I wish there were more flippy phones. This to me seems like the lack of competition is leading us to extremely, extremely weird conversations about speech online and extremely weird flip-flops of regulatory intent, right, on these parties. You would not expect free speech regulation to come from the, the right wing of the policy spectrum. Break them up. Okay. <laughs> we didn't talk about the Christchurch call. Walk us through that. Yeah, that's a, actually a huge one as well. Okay. There was also a very large coalition of governments and social media platforms that signed something, the Christchurch call to action, that's supposed to rally them to limit extremism on platforms, to take a whole raft of other, again, somewhat nebulous measures to promote non-extremism, and to basically stop something, stop hate content from spreading online. Uh, the U.S. did not sign. Yeah. It's a, we support we support it, generally. But we don't support support it. Yeah. We're not, not all the way. It's just, you guys are doing great, is based, I think, our, the, the government statement. Why do you think they didn't sign it? It's hard to say again. <laughs> um, their statement is that they have free speech concerns, and this is a... One of the weird cases where, yes, it is entirely possible to read this as we don't want to condemn something that someone might think of as a political ideology that's too close to their own because there's a fine line between white supremacists and, like, certain parts of the Trump's political base. It's also possible to genuinely read it as it's weird to have governments and social media platforms talking about creating ways to, like, police speech on their platform that is still legal speech. Yeah. Casey talks about this a lot, the concept of the splinter net that eventually governments around the world are going to create their own little internets because of their own little laws. <laughs> little laws. <laughs> the little, little laws of laws. Europe. <laughs> uh, and I just, it seems like that is just ever, it's hurtling towards us. And our, our free speech sort of doctrine is way more permissive than lots of other places. So yeah, you could, there's like one logical argument. It's like, that's incompatible with how we think about it. It's not incompatible with how Germany thinks about it. Right. Or but, New Zealand, which which did genuinely ban sites after the Christchurch shooting. Yeah. All right. There's 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 yet more Trump. I apologize, uh, but we we can't actually miss this. The trade war continues. Trade war expands. Trade war expands. Trump imposed a bunch of tar tariffs. China retaliated. 
Addie, walk us through what's going on there. Roughly facing the sort of important takeaway is that there's a huge category of devices that could face or of products that could face 25 percent tariffs. And that includes a lot of stuff that now people interact with every day and are very, very cognizant of the price of like phones and tablets. And that it's possible that people will not see these price increases if it's someone like Apple that has reasonable profit margins. But if you're looking at the low end or you're really lots of companies that aren't Apple, um, (laughs) then we could end up seeing higher prices or sort of other problems. And that still has not quite gone into effect. There's going to be public comment. There's going to be meetings and categories could get dropped, but it's potentially a very big deal. I mean, Apple has like $130 billion in the bank. Yeah, Apple, Apple's going to be fine. But like Walmart today said they couldn't they couldn't necessarily eat all of the, the hit to their margins and consumers would see prices. So it's happening. But the, I think like phone chargers being more expensive is going to be more real for more people than anybody expects. I think those are also – these are things where everybody kind of knows how much this should cost and everyone – and they're also big ticket items where you're like, yeah, I can spend X amount of money on this phone. And you will notice if the price jumps a really substantial amount. This is a really good time for Google to be putting out like a four hundred dollar. Just saying, <laughs> <laughs> can he move, Google? This is a horrible and shallow of me. But my first thought is that the you know uh, uh, Intel is coming out with ninth gen uh, processors and. Um, this summer <laughs> and I, I'm thinking about getting a new laptop and I don't want it to, I don't want it to cost 25% more is what I'm saying. I've thought about this with like building, yeah, building a PC or buying anything, buying a new phone. My phone's almost three years old. Oh man, it's coming. Ooh. Everybody stop what you're doing and start shopping. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you boost that consumer confidence index. Okay. Last one. The White House also basically issued an executive order, by the end of it all, ban Huawei from selling networking equipment in the United States. It gives them the ability to ban companies in general, but it is probably going to be Huawei, yeah. which people are worried about because of somewhat nebulous concerns over the government, like the Chinese government basically having a way into U.S. infrastructure. Yeah. Well, as I say, I mean, the reason people in this country want to buy Huawei equipment is because it's cheaper than the competition. Yeah. And so hilariously... We've written this story. You can go read it. It's rural broadband providers who are going to be most affected. So, like, the tariffs and the trade war is literally, like, farmers won't be able to sell their crops and then they'll have slow internet. Like, just feels like a like a bad combo platter for everybody. But the Huawei thing is, like, happening. It's, like, moving along. Yeah. There is a novel that I read. It came out in 2015. It's called Ghost Fleet. And it's about a war between um, China, well, the United States versus Russia and China. Uh, And it kicks it all off because China built all our microchips and they hacked all of the America all at once, right, at the start. So I think what happened is that somebody in Congress read that book. (laughs) Uh, That's Peter Singer. He just wrote a new book. Like I bet Peter Singer just like slinging copies of Ghost Fleet. Yeah. Peter, by the way, you should read Wired for War, which is a great Peter Singer book. That book's pretty good. Yeah, you're probably right. Like, Mattis read Ghost Fleet, and here we are. Like, we're just, like, going Mm, for it. It's probably true. Like, given this administration, that is more likely true. It's happened in other—I think under Clinton, we had a whole bio-warfare division that basically (laughs) happened because he read a novel about— He read Outbreak. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right, we're taking a break. Enough policy talk. We're coming back. Paul's going to do his thing. Then we're talking about the stream wars. 
a much less heated war. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, Paul, every week mm-hmm. you wow yes. America with your platform That's right. called Dongletown USA, bringing it back. Anchor has created a lightning <laughs> wait, to wait, USB-C wait. adapter. Wait, is this segment called Dongletown USA, bringing it back? Anchor has created a USB-C adapter. <laughs> well, actually, I'm sorry, but I have to interrupt this regularly scheduled <laughs> segment of Dongletown USA yeah. to bring you a breaking update from the keyboard in the front club, <laughs> HP Omen X2S, right? They... <laughs> So you've seen those laptops where they have a track, the trackpad turn is actually a screen. Yeah. And you're like, that's garbage because the keyboard's not in the front. HP (laughs) thought the same thing. (laughs) So they put the screen up above the keyboard. So it's a two screen laptop (laughs) um, with the keyboard in the front, trackpad on the right. It's for gamers. Yeah, I'm very excited. I love it. I mean, I looked at a picture of this thing and I was like, that's, I don't know what that screen is for, but I need it. And then yeah. I uh, I did not buy it. Well, yeah, I should buy it now before it goes up in price by twenty five percent. That's right. All right, I just have a quick update from the stream wars. Uh, by the way, here's my belief: Disney Plus is going to launch in June, right? Is, that, like, is it that soon? Really? June or, it's it's coming right up. June or July, wow. they're going to launch Disney Plus. It's you know going to have all the Star Wars, additional Star Wars we waged on Disney Plus. <sighs> Yeah, uh, it, yeah. It's kind of all the Marvel movies. They're saying Endgame will only be on Disney Plus. It's like it's coming. Mm. It's mm. the big competitor to Netflix. Yeah, the streaming wars are upon us. Apple yeah. TV mm-hmm. Plus is going to launch to compete with Star Wars and Endgame. They will have a series of shows from Oprah and Aquaman in a world where everyone is blind. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> it's true. That's what they announced. But they're here. It's it's happening. Y- you can just like make a list of verge buzzwords and put them in a sentence around stream wars. They will make a real headline that we could write. Like, yeah, T-Mobile zero rates five G HBO on Apple TV Plus is yeah. a nonsense sentence. But by the end of this year, it could be a real verge headline. So I I think it's very important that we track this stuff. So Disney Plus is coming. That yeah. means a lot of stuff is happening in the run-up. So uh, AT&T, which owns Game of Thrones, just a reminder for everyone, uh, that is the outcome of the world that we live in. AT&T owns Warner Media, which yep. owns the rights to The Office and Friends. They're going to launch the Warner Media streaming service, and they're going to pull The Office and Friends off of Netflix when the deal expires in 2019 and force you to subscribe to Warner Media the streaming service to watch Friends. 
which is like a nuclear level move. I feel pretty good about Netflix. They've got like good like brand equity with me. I I feel pretty good about Disney. Like Disney feels like it's a good brand that I trust, and I'll you know ha- much happier to have children watch that than you know YouTube kids and it's it's creepy yeah. stuff. Um, but not, neither of those compare to how much I dearly love in my heart, how important to my life Warner Media is. I cannot <laughs> wait. <laughs> So this is where money. we're going to lose antitrust. Yeah. Everybody it, it, wants well, one company to own everything. Yeah, that's true. Actually, someone tweeted at me today that. Holding the still wet with dripping blood knife that murdered Filmstruck. That got way darker than I thought <laughs> it would be. <laughs> uh, a thing that is true is that Friends in the Office are still, to this day, the most popular shows on Netflix. Yeah. So they're going to they're gonna take this thing that everyone just sort of... You know, you turn on Netflix, you don't know what to do. You just, like, watch Friends. People do it. They're going to say, you want to do that? Go. My theory is that Friends piracy and Plex usage is about to skyrocket. (laughs) Uh, Because you don't need anything else that's on the Warner Media streaming service. Uh, So that's one thing. Disney bought out all of the assets of Hulu from Comcast. So now Disney is in full control of Hulu. So that's happening. It's isn't it? They're like they're gonna be like they they could now or they're gonna be or like it's clear they're gonna but they're still like comp, they're still involved in some way for another couple of years. Stock blah blah blah. I think, blah, I think blah, they blah, get blah. some rev share. Oh, I should say yeah. uh, uh, disclosure. Comcast does not own Vox Media. Everyone who tweets that at me, just please stop. It's not true. Comcast is a minority investor in Vox Media, which is the parent company of The Verge. Also, they hate. They just personally hate me. So that's just that's the disclosure. Yeah. Um, Comcast is giving full control of Hulu to Disney. They're launching, uh, this is true, an NBC Plus streaming service. They no. You can pay $10 a month for it, but they don't want you to do that. They want you to still have cable. So if you have cable or you know satellite or whatever, you can log into NBC Plus and get everything, including live TV and, and, and video on demand. But if you pay the 10 bucks a month, you get less than that. Oh, my God. That's their plan. <laughs> this- Here's my solve for all of this. Yeah. Uh, buy cable watch no i'm gonna watch less television yeah it you seems know, right if you don't watch an hour or two of television a night you get you freeze up time to do other activities this is not fun i don't need this in my life well paul let me see if i can interest you in uh what i believe is the future of television which is the short form mobile video service known as quibi <laughs> uh which has already raised one billion dollars and now the information reports is on the hunt to raise yet another billion dollars giving no. them two billion dollars no. uh, no. to put six minute videos <laughs> no. on your phone and uh this is what they can do they can rotate uh from portrait to landscape uh <laughs> <laughs> The contrast is off the charts, uh, but when you watch it in portrait, you see one stream, and when you rotate it, you see another stream, adding a frisson of interactivity uh, and also double the bandwidth usage to your video (laughs) usage. I got to say, one of the best parts of any week is when YouTube has the temerity of (laughs) plugging another YouTube original in my uh, feed. And I love just hitting the the triple dot button and saying, hide this. I would, I would <laughs> sign up for Queeby just to thumbs down every <laughs> garbage piece of content. I'm sure that. But then there'd be nothing else there. You're paying the money just to <laughs> thumbs down right. all of the That's content. Right. This the, the the name of this company stands. It's a it's a it's a smash up portmanteau. I think is the word. Is that right? Is that the word portmanteau? Uh huh. Yeah. Of two words. Quick bites. Say the word quick. 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 
Now say the word bites. Quick. Be. Queek. Quibbe. Quibbe. It's, it's, beats. it's quibi. No, quibi. <laughs> quibi. Well, Quick okay. Bites. Now, if, it, if B-I is pronounced by, then that means $2 billion. That's a billion dollars per quib. It's <laughs> 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 horrible. Anyway... They're still, by the way, and this this service is still uh, a year away, <laughs> so the the wars are are off and running, right? Like you got ten extra dollars to spend, you can buy a cut down version of NBC. You're paying for Disney Plus, you're paying for Hulu, you're paying for Netflix, and then you're like, you know what? I don't have enough of is six minute videos that show me a different video when I rotate to landscape. Now I'm going to pay them too. But they have Guillermo del Toro involved. They do have. I mean, they're. I mean, it's Jeffrey Katzenberg, right? Like the. The sort of like word on the street in media is don't bet against Jeffrey Katzenberg, who ran Disney and then left Disney and then started Dream. Like, right, like he has his track record of success. Like, dude, dude made Trek, I believe. Ants. Ants is DreamWorks. Smash Mouth owns their like continuing existence <laughs> to Jeffrey Katzenberg. So, like, yeah, everyone is like, don't bet against Jeffrey Katzenberg, which is a fair thing to say. I just, my fundamental thing is like the reason anybody has an app on their home screen is because there's user generated content in that app, right? Like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Reddit. Very, like, very few of the apps on your home screen that your phone maker didn't put there or that aren't like your email messaging are not user-generated content apps. Like you have New York City subway time. <laughs> well, sure, but that's like utility. I meant like content apps. Do you have Netflix on your home screen? No. Like yes, I know very maybe. few people who have Netflix on their home screen. I have New York Times, The Verge, and uh, my RSS reader, Newsify. Okay. Well, you're you're like living a healthy life. Oh, yeah. I have Feedly. I, I have Feedly, too. But I've, I replaced F Facebook with Feedly in an effort okay. to like be a better person. Paul, right, what do you right. got? Audible, Spotify, oh, yeah, I got podcasts. Spotify. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, my theory is breaking <laughs> down in front of this like media elite <laughs> circle that I'm in. Oh, yeah. I have the Times, too. The most popular apps in the world, the most popular media apps in the world are all user-generated content and Netflix. Mm -hmm. Right? And so if you're making this like weird competitor to YouTube, but you're not going to have this like vibrant library of people doing stuff, I think you're like... Like, do you know it didn't cost $2 billion in content cost? TikTok. Are you building up to an argument that Queeby will fail? <laughs> Where are they on I'm the Go90 scale? Uh, 80. Holding at 80 okay. is my theory. Uh, by the way, the NBC Plus app, I'm giving a d incomplete did not finish. <laughs> because if you're trying to charge 10 bucks a month for not everything, like, and your CEO's out in the world being like, we'd rather you subscribe to cable, like you didn't. Like you showed up at the test and you just like drew a dinosaur instead of the answer. Like that's where that's where they're at. Here's why I'm mad about the streaming wars. If you want to watch video that is made by a professional on the internet, there's no opting out. When we first cut the cord, you could like opt out of paying for cable. And if you really wanted to watch a TV show, you could just go buy it on iTunes for 30 bucks or whatever the season cost. Uh, but now if you want to watch a bunch of these shows, you have no choice but to subscribe. And yeah. then try and quickly unsubscribe. So if you're diligent, you could theoretically, like, you, like, pick and choose your shows. You're going to have to set up a schedule for the year. And I'm like, all right, M March is my CBS All Access month. <laughs> and in March, I will turn up, flip on my CBS All Access subscription, and I will watch every show that I want. I'll watch that Star Trek Discovery. I'll watch Twilight Zone. It'll be great. And at the end of March, it gets shut off, so I only pay, you know, seven bucks for it. And then April, April, that's, that's my NBC month. 
And yeah. you'll flip that on and watch all your NBC shows. Well, not all uh, of them. Otherwise, you're just, you're, well, <laughs> some of them. <laughs> but there's no way, if it, like, I just want to opt out. I just want to be like, you know what, guys? I'm happy to pay you money for your content. Just let me just buy it and put it in my, like, online catalog of TV shows and then I will not deal with your subscription. And you can't do that. Here's my here's my uh, counter proposal, which is you know the very first cable systems in America, uh-huh. co- community access TV. That's why it was called Cat TV. You know, uh, friends, neighbors, literally countrymen, uh, gathered together to put up one big antenna, and then they ran wires to their house. Yeah, Co- collective action. I'm saying we form roving bands of shared subscribers. Ooh. Right, and you will forever be known as like CBS All Access, right? And you will walk the streets bartering your CBS All Access login for Netflix. Oh, so it's like it's like the end of Fahrenheit 451, but instead of representing a book, I yeah. represent a streaming service. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what okay. I'm getting at. You will have to memorize all of CBS All Access's catalog. <laughs> 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 you will you will literally walk the streets being like, I'm looking for a Hulu. And then what we will do is we'll start like a paid matchmaking service so that the Hulus can find the Netflixes and we'll just sit back. Wait, how do we work dating into this? <laughs> you don't wanna you don't wanna see what happened. The sparks fly when a Hulu meets a Netflix. Okay, that's the merchcast. <laughs> Thank you, Addy, for joining us. Yeah. We gotta we gotta get you on the show more often. Addy Robinson, how can they tweet at you? Uh, the Dextriarchy. Paul? Mm-hmm. You had future Paul. Yes. Dieter? I'm Backlon. I'm at Reckless. You can listen to the show anywhere you want. You can subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can look at the show notes. We have been asked by the Box Media Podcast Network to make this request, so I'm making it. Please go on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. I subscribe to the competition theory, but they're asking that you monopolize your review activity towards the Apple Podcast platforms. Do that. Check out why did you push that button? Season four is here. It is very, very good. And if you want to know more about tariffs and how they're impacting small gadget makers, Ashley actually just made a great video. It's on our YouTube channel. You should watch that. Okay, that's it. Rock and roll. Paul. Promo code. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.